Hey, it's Agnes and it's 2022 and I am back reading the Framer newsletter. Heard from a few of you that I have a good radio voice, got it back after COVID. So here we are, Framer number 15. This is about the capacity to change and systems of behavior and how we relate to one another in the broader scheme of things. So I've been thinking about systems of behavior and relationships pretty much starting in 2018 when I heard Esther Perel, who is an amazing psychologist, give a talk about modern relationships and its historical context. So what she's saying is that because so many of us have shifted away from traditional society and religion. We're now in this moment where we need to negotiate everything in our romantic relationships. It's just because nothing's neatly defined anymore. So we have to communicate our needs and define our roles within our own systems and on our own terms. And I think that's true for a lot of aspects. We're just it feels like we're in a societal renegotiation right now and what was working before or seemed to have been working before just isn't anymore. So I think I know I am and I think a lot of other people are like getting better at communicating what we each need instead of falling into something predefined, which feels like good progress. And so I've been thinking about role negotiation beyond just a romantic context. I'm definitely more aware of roles I'm participating in beyond myself. And I'm thinking about how occupying those roles plays into a bigger system. So I reread this book called The Forest and the Trees that was published in 1997 by Alan G. Johnson. I randomly found this book in a hallway at a going away party once, and I'm glad I did because it's honestly the best primer on how systems work. And I would totally make this required reading in every high school if I had that kind of power. Um, The biggest takeaway that I got from this book is if we want to change anything, we need to examine and renegotiate roles within our society. It's not about going after an individual uh, because we're each playing into these roles. And roles are important because it's how we define our participation in groups. And, you know, we come out of the womb all week, so pretty much wired to need groups to survive. So it really just dictates our behavior. because roles just have well understood expectations. We pick roles that we know we'll get rewarded for. And Johnson calls this the path of least resistance. Like the sooner we realize that's just how humans work, that we just need and seek acceptance all of the time as a survival mechanism, I think we'll understand ourselves better. So yeah, roles are important in understanding our motivations and The other crucial thing that I picked up from this book is that people are not roles and are not systems. So 
going to read this out loud to you from Johnson's book because I think he puts it really well. What social life comes down to then is a dynamic relationship between social systems and the people who participate in them. Note that people participate in systems without being parts of systems themselves. In this sense, father and grandfather are positions in my family, and I, Alan, am a person who actually occupies those positions. It's a crucial distinction that's easy to lose sight of. It's easy to lose sight of because we're so used to thinking solely in terms of individuals. It's crucial because it means that people aren't systems and systems aren't people, and if we forget that, we're likely to focus on the wrong thing in trying to solve our problems. So that hit home for me because if you're thinking about a system of behavior and the roles within that system and what's rewarded, you stop thinking about what's wrong with individuals. You start thinking about, okay, what's the context here that is driving someone to behave in in the way that they are? And so if we want to think about any kind of change we need to look at the incentives and what's rewarded. So to put this theory to the test, I took a look at the prison system because it has super well-defined roles like inmate and prison guard and victim. And I just wanted to see if there are any examples where the behavior that was rewarded was different. And I happened to be reading this book called Humankind and the author mentioned Nor- Norway's prison system. Basically, in 1998, they totally revamped their prison system. Johnson would give these Nordic politicians a gold star for focusing on roles to get rid of the issues that they were having rather than focusing on what's wrong with people who commit crimes. So... Yeah, they really understand that roles create a framework for participation and totally guides how people behave within the system. So taking a look at the system, Norway's prisons used to look a lot like America's and that's because the core goal was to punish people. And just like here in America, Norway's like outcomes really weren't looking too great. So they just tried something totally different by moving away from retribution and towards rehabilitation. And so nowadays, life in a Norwegian prison mimics normal life on the outside, and prisoners are basically learning the skills they need to return to society. Uh, Sociologists would call this the principle of normality. So There's two famous low-security prisons in Norway called Halden and Bastoy that take the philosophy to the next level in the sense that inmates have private rooms, meditation halls, they can drive vehicles, um, they have fun things they can do like go fishing or play tennis. What's cool is that the prison is also run and sustained by the prisoners so they cook and grow their own food and they maintain the infrastructure. So there's a real sense of ownership there. And the feeling there is just totally different from what we see in the U.S., right? Like an American prison official who visited this prison, these Norwegian prisons, said it would feel like a five-star resort to an American inmate. Um, 
And that's just because in Norway, they have this fundamental belief that being in prison is punishment enough, which, you know, is very different from the U.S. prison system, where it seems like they try to inflict punishment at every turn. So I think it's been, it's a really big change in perspective. And when an American officer of corrections and rehabilitation went there, she basically reflected that, you know, there's nothing in court orders that tells prisons to inflict punishment or cause pain. So I don't know how over time we thought that treating people like animals or less than human was part of our mission. So basically admitting that that's how American prisons treat American prisoners. So even beyond that, that change in mindset, I mean, Norway's really putting their actions where it counts. And in 2007, um, they actually started helping inmates find jobs and homes before they were released. So not only helping them build skills in prison, but also helping them get back into society. And then you compare that to American prisons where inmates get a set of clothes and a bus ticket to a halfway house. And if they have any money left in their commissary or if their family sent them something, they get that too. And so it just feels absurd that we would expect anyone with limited resources or experience to sm- like smoothly transition back into society. Um, so we have to ask ourselves, like, how much is it costing us to punish when we could be rehabilitating? When we look at the roles and rewarded behaviors within the system, um, it becomes really obvious that in the U.S., prison guards are meant to just secure the premises and keep inmates in check, whereas in Norway, they are really thinking about themselves as like facilitating prisoners learning new skills. Um, and you know, in the U.S., a prisoner's role is to pay back society by working for free or very low amounts. And in Norway, the role is to be a student and a contributor by keeping the prison running. So just the whole system is completely different. And Norwegian prison guards use soft power rather than hard power. And it works because it just creates a different feeling. There's an actual term for the soft style in a prison, it's called dynamic security. And the idea is that it encourages positive interactions rather than coercion. So it creates a respectful environment and in turn that respectful environment is just a safer place to be. So in the mornings, Norwegian prison guards greet each inmate with a good morning to wake them up. And, you know, American prison officials who witnessed it said it reminds you of your mother waking you up as a small child, which is just nice. Like, that actually sounds like rehabilitation. Not only is it beneficial for inmates, but it's really helpful for prison guards, too, because prison guards are people and the violent nature of their jobs makes them just as likely to suffer from PTSD as someone who fought in a war. Uh, And it just doesn't have to be that way. Like, that's unnecessary. 
So the path of least resistance in a Norwegian prison system is to go to counseling, learn new skills, be respectful. The system is designed to show inmates what a better life could look like and actually prepare them to have one. So it's just easier to evolve and meaningfully participate in society rather than going back to your same old bullshit. Like, I haven't mentioned the role of the victim yet in in this system and what justice means to somebody who has had a crime done to them. Um, I I won't pretend to understand what that feels like, but, you know... It, Apparently, a majority of victims would prefer rehabilitation and structural change over retribution. Uh, It's just more of a focus on healing. And not only do we not support healing in the prison population, we don't really support healing for victims who experience trauma. And so, I mean, I think the system would be a lot better if we focused our attention on that. When it comes to results, recidivism rates in Norway are some of the lowest in the world, yet recidivism rates in America are some of the highest in the world. So to put some numbers to it, 20% of released inmates are arrested within two years in Norway. In America, 70% of released prisoners are arrested again within three years. So a 50% difference, roughly. And, you know, to take it away from the numbers and put it differently, I think the way this one American prison official described it is really spot on. He said, we feel like we're serving our communities by keeping dangerous individuals enclosed from society. And here, I think they feel like they're serving their community by taking those dangerous individuals and changing them for the better. I'd never really looked at my job as an opportunity to change somebody's life. When you help someone change their life for the better, it just keeps people out of prison. It's a good thing to remember. Haters will say that Norway isn't a good analogy because the population is smaller and more homogenous, but I'd argue that none of that matters because the roles within the prison systems are the same. They're just rewarded differently. Norway's prison system used to look just like the one we have in the U.S., and yet... Once they stopped focusing on punishing the individual and reimagined the roles and purpose of the system, the outcomes changed. And like Johnson mentioned, when we look beyond the individual, we get better at solving systemic problems. And when we see patterns in behavior, it's a good clue that we should be investigating the roles and how they're being defined and rewarded. So that's one question I'm definitely going to carry around with me as I think through how I move through the world of like type of behavior am I rewarding and yeah what just what's being rewarded in every situation. So I think when we examine that we'll realize that the systems we have today can be reimagined and renegotiated to better serve our collective needs. Thanks for listening and see you next time.